Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. And uh, today is uh, just a Brother, Brother pod with Wyndham and I. And we are going to be chatting about the much acclaimed, and I think rightfully so, audio Beastie Boys book that just came out. And uh, we both um, gave, I think, what, 20 hours of our life to this? <laughs> About 14. It's uh, 14 very, very worthy hours, yeah. I would say. Um, we had uh, just completed the um, tournament, the March Madness tournament, the shittiest song of all time, and welcome... You need to feel good. Yeah. <laughs> welcome this... This uh, the presence of this audiobook while we were recording that because uh, it is well it takes both of us back in, in different ways and um, me particularly because it is New York when I started going to New York as a um, teenager and uh, mis miscreant <laughs> uh, and it really the Beastie Boys were part of the the crowd when I started hanging around in New York City and later became the soundtrack to a lot of uh, my... Uh, a lot of misadventures. Misadventure <laughs> in, in New York City. But it, I, this audiobook, I had listened to a grand total of one audiobook prior to this, which was uh, Bad Blood, um, the Elizabeth Holmes uh, story. And yeah, I like the format, but this turns its on, you know, absolutely turns the format on its ear. It's a completely... And uh, yeah, curated, and, yeah, and, and sort of in keeping with the Beastie Boys' long history of of invention and and uh, um, format and genre busting, they put out the audiobook as written by Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz as a chapter by chapter uh, reenactment almost or retelling. There are, I think, upwards of thirty five different readers. On yeah, this, from, most of them notable, some of them sort of uh, scenesters and punk uh, yeah, icons. DJs and punk, but I mean, you know, from John Stewart to Michael C. Riley to uh, Bobby Cannavale, Exene yeah. Cervenka, Chuck D, Wanda Sykes, yep. um, Kim Gordon. It it really it Ben Midler, <laughs> and it does it, uh, Jarvis Cocker. It does really it, it justifies that kind of star power because every chapter. It gives it a texture that that makes every chapter sort of stand out and more memorable than it would be. And both Mike Diamond and Adam Horvitz are are gifted storytellers and and both gifted writers. Um, and uh, their voices al- themselves are, are worthy of note. But it really makes um, the process of listening. Uh, it makes different stories stand out so much, given who they are told by and, yeah. and it feels like those people have um an investment and ownership stake in how those stories are told yeah it's almost like a new adventure each chapter and then i think the other thing that really works with this is um you're still sort of it's adam horowitz and, and mike Dime, michael diamond's voice but via someone else so the story that you know what would probably become a, a bit monotonous maybe, or, or, I mean, actually I didn't read the book. I only listened to the audible as the win, but, um, and I'm not, I'm not sort of saying that the book would be monotonous, but there are some things that, you know, definitely, you know, they get, they get into a lot of detail and they cover a lot of ground in this book and it, it kind of gives it a fresh take every time, but it also kind of captures the collaborative and sort of artistic curiosity of these guys that to be frank, like, 
you know, I came to the Beastie Boys in the 80s, as did Wynn, but I was a much younger, um, yeah, you know, yeah. version. I dressed up as the Beastie Boys for Halloween <laughs> in fourth or fifth grade, um, you know, and, and like, you know, fight for your right and to party in Licensed Ill because it was exactly what it was, bratty and, and new and, and kind of brash. Um, but, you know, where Wynn was, you know, in New York and, and hanging around places like Danceteria, which they talk a lot about the, the club scene then and, and they emerging club scene. But, you know, what I really admired um, about the book was just sort of the the passion for the history of music and also just the kind of the way these guys really captured a time and place where there was a real shift in genres and music. So there was the hardcore punk scene, there was the end of disco, beginning of techno and, and house and hip hop and, and it all sort of, it didn't really matter at that time. It was kind of a, there was a, seemed to be a, a real freedom in, in music and I, music discovery. I think it was, you know, like I've always said about the early eighties, um, there was a, a confusion and a, and a lack of um, top down management that allowed for certain weirdnesses to creep into the music scene that weren't, immediately you know they they seem much more established in a particular genre now than they did then i mean you they even address this in the book you know people like Debo and the pretenders and joe jackson mm-hmm. and um you know these tom tom club or- tom tom club or you know um you know they were coming out and you know people were very you know, they weren't punk but so they got lopped into this new wave category, which was a was a catch all for anything that wasn't either Asia or the Sex Pistols, right. you know. Um, so you didn't have a safety pin in yeah, your eyebrow. Like yeah. I've probably said a dozen times on this. If you go back, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were lopped into this, right. as was Thomas Dolby. Yeah. Um, you know Gary Newman, Newman yeah. and you know people like that, but they weren't. They had nothing in common. And so it was just a it was just a lack of of somebody you know somebody in charge being fast enough to categorize them and and you know uh, ghettoize them that that allowed this sort of weird you know the B fifty twos and people like that to sort of coexist um, among one another and and the Beastie Boys book and the audiobook really capture that well it's there's um, but the other thing I I love about the Beastie Boys and this is what I've always sort of aspired to also myself is is this um you know it's okay to be nostalgic as long as you don't give up seeking what is going to be you know what is good What's currently next? yeah yeah and i think they do a great job of balancing that ability to tell stories about how great things were without being the the typical you know New York, you know, the person in New York who says, well, it was so, you know, this yeah, was New York great was so much cooler ago. in 1982 or New, 1979. Just for the record, New York was the coolest to every single individual when they showed up in New York. <laughs> right. Across the board. Yeah. It's still happening. So it's, you know, it's not some magical date that, uh, you know, made New York great again. It is the fact that you are your youngest and most you know, sort of open when you arrive in New York and you gradually chisel down to being a cynical old person. But <laughs> that's what I like about these guys is they don't seem to have any of that cynical old person no, it's, DNA. It's, it's a kind of life-affirming book in a lot of ways. And then, you know, sadly, we, we mentioned um, Adam Yag, Adam Yag and, and, you know, passing away. And, and, and the book is really a tribute to their friend and, and you know, partner and music partner, 
And somebody who sounds like, you know, by their account and, and those in the book's account really was somewhat of the driving force behind that curiosity and that musicality, probably one of the, the most talented musically of, of the gang, or at least as far as in production mm -hmm. world and, and tinkering with stuff, but also a, a person that really also grew as a person. Um, yeah, spiritually and, and mentally and, and was kind of the guy who said, like, let's do this differently and, and things like that. And, you know, so and I think, you know, we're, we're that can be a sad, um, you know, obviously it's very sad for them. Um, and it was a sudden death. And we remember when it happened, but it was um, they do it in a, a very, you know, sort of respectful, tasteful way and in and, and kind of a, a true I don't know. I think it's, it was one of the things that really stood out in the book to me was the way they handled their friend and, and the tribute to him, both through other, you know, uh, contributors talking about MCA and, and then also um, both Michael and um, Adam talking about, you know, him as well and, and the music that he turned them on to and, and you know, kind of um, not going into the, the details of his actual death, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pitfalls that this book does not fall into. <clears throat> and it is, you know, the classic behind the music formula for which I, you know, I'm also, I'm a big fan of oh, behind the music. Yeah. But, um, you know, there is no, you know, rise and fall and lament and re no. regrouping these guys stayed together forever they you know stayed true to their vision forever and they um you know they lost a great friend but they didn't spend half of the they neither spent half the book talking about their friend in the past tense and what a tragedy it was nor did they spend half the book talking about how their new stuff is so much better than you right. know their their classics um, those are pitfalls that frequently get, uh, you know, that are frequently fallen into. And I give them a, a, a world of credit for, for just growing up and understanding what their place in history is in real time. Cause they, you know, their stuff is beloved and they are beloved and it's uh, obvious by the, um, stable of talent that they brought in that a lot of people grew up sort of, I mean, everybody sort of grew up wishing they were hanging around with these guys. Yeah, they always looked like they were having more fun than everyone else. And um, and I'd say, too, you know, one thing that um, early in the book, you sort of realize that these guys were... There is always that, that you know, the Malcolm Gladwell thing of, like, right time, right place, repetition. And, you know, you very much see that these guys grew up with very liberal parents, not, you know, more poor kids by any means, but went to the already, you know, liberal private schools. In <laughs> what was it? They thought it was called City S School. <laughs> yes, <City> School, <laughs> where I think they were asked, like, yeah. why aren't you stoned? It makes Hampshire look like prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and had a lot of freedom, but also, um, you know, a lot of exploration. And, and then, like I said, you had that kind of merge of, like, you know, getting into music, like, you know, certainly I did and, and other people do, like, in, through the kind of punk scene. But immediately, you know, so being at that first Black Flag show in New York, but then immediately also hearing, you know, Grandmaster Flash and, um, you know, the hip hop scene that was going on and, and connecting with Rick Rubin and, and the Def Jam guys and, and Russell Simmons. So it's an interesting, um, you know, time and place thing. And I, I think the Beasties, if you look back, they're really good. <laughs> and they sort of have never quite... You know, tip been taken, I think, 100% seriously to some degree. I think they... They got there, definitely. They got there. Yeah. But I think maybe coming into them in the very beginning, they were such a, you know, party band kind of jokester, pranksters. And then, the you know, getting serious. It, it's pretty 
funny to go back. I, I certainly went back on a voyage and listened to a bunch of stuff and was like, oh yeah, this is like so, I mean, in different parts of my youth too, mm-hmm. you know, which was, was kind of fun. I mean, the Paul's Boutique chapters are excellent and the, you know, Lysa Dill stuff's great. And then, you know, Check Your Head would be my high school years, which was, was also excellent. Um, but uh, there's one thing I was trying to think of in this. Oh, the other thing that I thought was really kind of interesting and, and like another book that we read, I think a couple of years back, the Meet Me in the Bathroom book. Um, about New York and sort of a time and place, you know, the rebirth of rock in, in New York, which I actually think is an excellent read and a lot of fun, especially if you enjoy that music as much as I and Wynn and Christian do. And watched it come up. And watched it come up. This book really does a great job of, of music history and not in a preachy, you know, uh, kind of, um, you know, like Wynn said, this is this is when it was great sort of way. It just talks about like this was a cool time and this is what was going on. And it's funny. Is, I, I think that, the you know, I think it's their deaf their deafness as writers that allows this, but I feel like this is much more, and it could possibly be that it was literally the, the New York that I lived through, but if this feels like much more of a transportational kind of book or, you know, it puts you in that place rather than speaking about it as if it were history. Right. Um, I find that meet me in the bathroom, even though it was much more current, um, felt much more retrospective. Well, and I, I mean, my take on that is funny because I, I liked both books, but I was always felt a little bit, um, I really enjoyed meeting in the bathroom. I, I flew through it, but I was a little just annoyed by a couple of things. And, and after reading the Beastie Boys book, I think it kind of dawned on me what it was. It's just the self-consciousness of that book, mm-hmm. you know, where the Beastie Boys are, are a group that's kind of gotten to a place, like you said, I mean, these guys are in their fifties now and, and, and uh, comfortable and happy and, mm-hmm. you know, can look back where I think everybody felt a little slighted for no reason in yeah. in the bathroom, um, you know, and it was just, uh, and then, you know, I will say having grown up around New York, not obviously partying there when I was 12, I certainly went in there and it was not, it was a much rougher place back then. It really yeah. was. It wasn't a place that scared yeah. the shit out of me when I was young. No, it was, but it's um, fun to have all the places that I used to go to name checked because it does bring back very, very strong and fun and, patchy memories i mean you know danceteria the world uh downtown beirut uh pyramid xenons uh area all those places um i don't think the limelight was ever mentioned no, was it? Yeah. uh but yeah i mean it was all these places that were really fun and it was an era when people went out and danced and and that is a different you know all of these things are done differently now um, and I don't think for better or for worse. I don't think, you know, I think it is just different. It, yeah. it, the things evolve. People don't pay a premium to go or to a nightclub um, and and dance at night now. It's much. And, and it was such a... And DJ, or to hear new music. Yeah. To hear something new and, and cool. It's, it's mostly theme nights and things of that nature and, and rock festivals and... Um, which is, you know, again, like I said, it's, it is just different. It's not better or worse, but it is, it does make, you know, it does allow for a certain nostalgia to creep in for things that used to happen that are, you know, that just you age out of or, and the city ages out of and, you know, the city evolves and yeah. These yeah, it's a, it's a far better place probably for it today <laughs> than it was then. It's a, it's a far less concerning place <laughs> yeah. than it used to be. And that's not a bad thing either. No, I mean, not at all. I remember in, I can't remember what book it was. It might have been Patty Smith's book. I forget what it was, but it was there was a section where, where Thurston Moore was talking about 
um, the sort of romance of being chased home <laughs> and the, you know, the romance of the attempted robbery. Yeah. It's like, no, being scared That's is scary. not fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there you have it. But I, I do, you know, the Roxy and all these places, it just, it, for people of a certain age, and I am now, um, officially allowed to refer to myself as people of a certain age, this is a really fun read. And I think people who are younger, who want a clear picture of what the city used to be like, it's a, it's a really strong history. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I found, you know, the beginning of the book, which focuses a lot on how they came to be the Beastie Boys and why they came to be the Beastie Boys, especially musically. Um, and which is New York is, you know, the sort of integral part of that. Um, and New York at that time is absolutely fascinating if you're a music fan at all. And, you know, having the benefit of having an older brother who was there and, and we grew up kind of outside of there during that time and, and spent some time in the city. Um, it's a time that, you know, I don't necessarily long for because I was too young, but I definitely felt like I got, a, a, like you said, sort of transported there. And I do remember you know, th- those times. So let's, let's listen to a, a beasties track and then we'll come back and just talk about some other things that really stood out to us about the book. And then we'll, uh, we'll move on. A little cookie puss. A little cookie puss where it all began. the brother 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 podcast today we are talking uh about the beastie boys audiobook uh a book that is getting actually a, a, a book in a format that's getting a lot of attention and well deserved and hopefully um we can convince some people who wouldn't necessarily uh, explore this format to explore it because it is a really really fun ride and it is completely differently done um one thing I have to, one thing I would want to ask you is, did the absence of music, and I'm assuming that that is due to licensing and publishing and all that sort of business bullshit, um, did that sort of take you? Did, were you wishing that there was music included in the? Well, it's it's a, it's a great question because in my head there was music going constantly, whether they were talking about like Run DMC or. You know, Genius of Love by Tom Tom Club, or you know, whatever it was, Bad Brain, Bad Brain yeah, and and um, and so what it did, and I think this is kind of cool, is yeah, I kept thinking like next chapter was you know sort of like where we have a break at our pod, and you just heard Cookie Bus, you were gonna hear that track, and you didn't, and it didn't bother me because I was so interested in the book, just and it kept me so excited. What, but what it did do 
as soon as I like paused or something, I went to Spotify or whatever and started listening to a ton of those songs, which was kind of cool too. And there's actually a great playlist my friend turned me on that are actually straight from the book. Um, But the other thing I think that's really cool too was that this book kind of focused on discovery of music in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and, and something that, you know, Again, not to sound like the old man, and I don't think I think they do a good job not sounding like that. But you just did have to go and look for shit, yeah, and have friends who turned you on to something or whatever. And um, and they talk about that, and, and you know, I think they even say in the book like not that having everything on your phone is not fucking amazing because it is, I, <laughs> but you know, there was something to making a mixtape or there was something to hearing a song mm-hmm. for the first time that is kind of magical that's like lost. And I kind of felt that about the book. It sort of made me you know, go back and listen to Lee Scratch Perry again and stuff that I like don't listen to on a regular basis, but did get into, mm-hmm. um, the same way these guys did, you know, somebody played it at a party and I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, yeah, this is cool. A, there's a lot of, um, moments of musical discovery in here. There's a lot of, uh, sort of lauding of, of the great songs of all time. There's a lot of building of mixtapes on yeah. here. There's a lot of... Like drawing the picture on the mixtape. Yeah, and I mean, there is, there is, you know, all of those things that, that required effort. And, and you know, they say if there's one thing they, they maybe repeat uh, as much as anything, it's, you know, this is before the internet. This yeah. is how you had to do shit. Yeah. And it sounds crazy now, and it sounds really labor-intensive, and it was. Yeah. Um, and you know all these things that yeah, having tapes in your front pocket of your jeans, like, you know, because you could never wear a backpack because that was fucking lame, you know. Yeah, it's it it has that sort of you know level of detail to to like you know planning your outfit so that you could maximize yeah. the musical uh, you know transportation. But I do think too. Um, you know, there is yeah. I know I didn't quite answer your question there, but it then doesn't didn't really bother didn't me bump in the end. You. Yeah. There was a really there was a few moments where I was like, yeah. waiting for it. I uh, felt like it was going to come constantly, yeah. but it never did. And um, and it is funny, and it's funny to hear fellow musicians. It's funny to you know, I mean, I've been listening to Stay Free, the the Clash podcast hosted by Chuck D. Funny to hear what a big Clash fan Chuck D was. It's yep. funny to hear that Biz Marquis loves Seals and Crawl. Yeah, <laughs> that is a great story. <laughs> and it's you know, it's funny to hear. All of these like cross references. I mean, these are all people that I sort of knew who they were, and, yeah. and you know, in Chuck D's case, you know, sort of worshipped in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, there was people who floated in and out of these things, like Max Perlick. I forgot right. about Max Perlick, but you know, I mean, that guy. I thought it was like the coolest little actor in Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. When he did yeah. that cow. I mean, yeah. um, drugstore cowboy. Drugstore cowboy. Yeah. And things, and you know, just all these people that fell by the wayside. For you know, I mean, it's sort of remembered that. Uh, Adam Horowitz was married to Ioni Sky, yeah. who was everybody's crush from yeah, Say, Anything. Say Anything. And, you know, he talks about Donovan Leach, who was Ioni Sky's brother. And, I, yep. you know, he never makes that connection in there. But it, there's there's a lot of um, non-name droppy name dropping. Yep. There's a lot of mentions, I should say. Uh, you well, know, you get the sense that these like guys that. Um, are friends with these people. You yeah. Know? And I think that was like the thing about this book that... Uh, you know, one of the big standouts for me. And first of all, like, like I said, it kind of crosses a couple eras, right? So you have Wynn being a teen in the licensed ill days and Paul, you know, the Paul's boutique, which was a, a complete flop, mind you. Mm-hmm. Great story. Retrospectively, people forget these things. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, licensed ill was a huge success. And, and there's some great stories in there about, you know, Rick Rubin. And uh, I think if there's anything negative in the book, which it's not at all a negative book, 
And I think it's it's done in a very tasteful, nice they way. They like nobody. Yeah, and I would say even Ruben, they don't. But I see that's the closest they come. And I think it's just a, a matter of, you know, they got fucked for money. And, you know, it's just never been a, a discussed, it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know. and, and I, But I, you don't get the sense that these guys hold a grudge at this point in their lives. Um, and, you know, but the curiosity and, and I think the exploration is what's so fun and great you know so at that time licensed ill they're kind of the buffoonish budweiser drinking morons with a giant cock on stage and you know it's all in kind of fun but it's you know they're making fun of a of a subculture that they became embraced by and that's a tough thing to have happen yeah and they retreat from it take a break and you know meet the dust brothers and they're like holy shit these guys are amazing and that's sort of a theme of the the um the book and their music is they sort of are always looking for the next, or not even looking necessarily, but they find something, they're like, let's do this. And there was never a, we can't do that Mm -hmm. uh, mentality. And so, you know, from Paul's Boutique, and then I I think, you know, one of the, part of the book that really hit me, and I had kind of forgotten about, to be honest, because it's just so far removed, was the mid-90s period where they sort of um, left the record label, did their own, um, you know, record contract, started playing instruments again. On the, on the check your head because it was really the first time that we I grew up very much in the sort of golden era of 90s hip hop lived outside of New York City so it was a huge part of the music the that, box yeah the people and I, my friends and I listened to but also punk rock was a, a big thing that we listened to and it was the first time somebody took all of those genres and was like you can do both because Check Your Head had, you know, great hip-hop grooves and, and Beastie Boys um, hitting kind of their their prime and, and that. They'd sort of turned the, the page on the, you know, goofy smash beer cans on your head chapter and even the oversampling chapter. And, and there was also hardcore punk songs on that record. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's my favorite record by them today, but it's the one that certainly stands out at a time and place where it kind of united mm-hmm. all of us musically. And I think that's something that this book kind of shows, too, with all the different people. It's like there's such a uniting... I remember seeing them on that tour, too. Yeah, I saw them with you. And, uh, well, that, oh, no, and I saw them licensed to Italy. Yeah. No, I actually saw them on a lineup. Yeah. Very weird lineup. You met. <laughs> I, I saw them because uh, I was in college, and I saw them at the Spring Fling thing, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> um, on that bill that day, by the way, Violent Femmes, yes. Tom Tom Club, <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers... Um, Delonious Monster, Fishbone, Fish, <laughs> Beastie Boys, Jesus, um, and Bob Dylan. And Beastie Boys were probably like <laughs> in the middle at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, they yeah, weren't they were, like they were kind of coming back. They were coming back. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, but they were doing, you know, their old favorites too. Yeah. Like they knew how to do this. Stuff. They never. They played. were great live. Yeah, they were. Great and they live. played everything, and they never were. And that's the other thing, kind of like you know, in the Jeff Tweedy book where you um, realize that this artist is not at all embarrassed by anything. No. I mean, they talk about albums, their favorite albums in the book. They talk about things that they think did really well. They even talk about the albums that didn't work out that well. But you get a sense that they're, like, pretty proud of their their uh, catalog, you know, and they're, they're going to do it. And, you know, I remember in high school I did cross paths with these guys one night at a place called Nightbirds in the East Village, which was like an after-hours diner kind of thing where everybody – you know, and you went and smoked cigarettes and, and drank more. And, and um, you know, I remember them lighting us, trying to smoke breadsticks. That's yeah. what the, my main takeaway. My friend was friends with John Barry, who was an original member of the Beastie Boys. And, and sort of, so I remember meeting them. And then real, when that album hit, Licensed to Ill, and it was sort of embraced by everybody. Um, so, you know, universally, and it was a slow build. It didn't oh, take off yeah. from day one. Um, you know, sort of, I had this kind of ownership, like feeling like I know the, I, I, 
don't you know, I don't think I even liked, you know, when I my encounter when right. I met them. But, but uh, it was like somebody but I, that but you brushed. And there was a physical record and yeah. that I mean there's a lot of that kind of feeling in this where it's like, wow, you know, I've actually met those guys yep. and here's a physical record by them. That's fucking cool. Yeah, totally cool. And uh you get that feeling from them too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> About themselves and their friends and I think that the couple like things that really kind of hit me that I didn't wasn't aware of, I guess, um, in the day of an age of internet and, and them being sort of pre that was the fact that they were really well respected off the bat, um, in the hip hop community because it was so early and so new and so all over the place where you sort of think like, yeah, they uh, were these guys are white boy posers, but and they weren't, they, they were, weren't at all. <laughs> they were like, part of the birth of it. Exactly. And, and I didn't realize how much of that is actually, that, that it was reality. Also, I love the fact that they sort of say like, we love this music, like we love the clash so much, but we're not working class kids from London. Like mm-hmm. we, we're not going to be the clash or the bad brains who we also love so much this is a genre that we want to learn. And then they literally would like practice rapping and dancing. They're like, that's embarrassing. But there are, but it was like it was something, and it wasn't like a poserness to it. It was something that it was almost like a love, you know, like we want to do this. Yeah. Well, I think the great gatekeepers of, of certain genres are people, you know, I mean, I think it's a lot of nerdy white yeah. historians and writers Rock who, critics. You know, who are the, the, you know, guard the gatekeepers on these things. And, and these guys were just part of the scene, and these yeah. were their friends, and this is how it worked. And but some of the so some of the highlights for you um, in terms of stories or or readers. I mean, who well, I mean, that? I think the and I you might have to fill in the name because I'm all I tend to forget names constantly. But the I, I love the chapter of the woman that was in the band originally began Lush, yeah Lush and Jack, Luscious Jackson, and she reads a chapter about being sort of outed by them. Always kicked being out. kicked out of the band, you know, um, in the Rick Rubin days. Um, and uh, I just thought it was like a really cool chapter of just constantly being friends with them, constantly having a respect for them, and then coming back and them sort of returning the favor of putting out Luscious Jackson and having the Grand Royale and, and, and just a cool chapter. And it also does kind of go into the fact that they were, you know, woke before woke was anything that mm-hmm. you know anyone ever hashtagged or, or said i mean these guys made a conscious choice early on to be like we don't want to do that anymore and we're going to say it publicly in like 90 1992 you know <laughs> when nobody was doing that shit especially in hip-hop you know yeah, not, only, in, not only did they make amends yeah uh adam horvitz married kathleen hannah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was yeah, like called being held accountable totally and um and i thought that was where again, that could be sort of braggadocious or, or you know, like, look, we were doing this first. Yeah. It wasn't. It was just fact and, yeah. and kind of interesting fact. And then I loved the internet story where they have the guy who started the first Beasties Max. web. Yeah, Max, the first <laughs> web page. And it's just a great story of, you know, open mindedness and um, networking and just helping the little guy out a little bit. And this guy is a talented web person before anybody was looking at the web. You know, I won't go through the whole thing, but basically, you know, the beasties at that day and age could have done anything they wanted, you know, as far as hiring somebody from Microsoft to start their website. And this was right as what band sites were, were not happening, but about to happen. Yeah, I think it was a kid from Columbus, Ohio. Totally. Or no, from Indiana. Indiana. It was a total fanboy and who had been posting or scanning and posting their lyrics on and he was scared he was going to get sued. 
And they ended up hiring him to start the Beastie Boys website and yeah. to, and to show them also, how to use the internet. They also took him on tour yeah. and had him hang out for a day. Yeah, playing basketball with like Guided by Voices on the Wall Police Tour <laughs> and, and Smashing Pumpkins. And the kid was like, uh, what am I doing here? Yeah. And uh, he said he was making six bucks an hour working at like a, a you know, juice yeah. store or something. And uh, they said, uh, you know... Well, we'd like you know we'd like to hire you, but first we want to see if he can hang. Yeah. So he passes the test. He uh, gets hired, and and they ask him how much he wants, and he's like, he said he went for broke and, and asked for eight fifty an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's <was laughs> so, great. Uh, it was it's pretty good. I remember. So yeah, one of my favorites, and obviously I'm a huge Clash fan, but you know they tell this story oh. about the night that they're hanging out in London, like right when they first, you know, one of their first trips to yeah. London ever, and they're get invited over to Mick Jones's house and, and in comes, you know, Joe Strummer and yeah. in comes Paul Simon and in comes, you know, that was Johnny Rotten. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck like dream did we just, yeah. <laughs> did we just wake up in? And they're like drinking beers and going out with these guys. And it was like, yeah, listening to records. Yeah. And it, it really is it's something about that. Like realizing, you know, people always say never meet your idols. But, you know, fuck that. If your idols are pretty cool, it's kind of great. Yeah, and I got the sense, too, that they just were so excited, even like their Soul Train story yeah, you know, and stuff like that. Like, and just so excited to kind of meet these people that, like, even if – I don't know. It's a weird sense of, like, they weren't going to have a bad time. You know, yeah. it's like, I just love your music so much or, you know, or whatever. Or the uh, story at the end where they're talking to um, – you know, the sample that they'd taken. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to fudge the name. I apologize to the listeners. But, and the gentleman goes up to him and is like, hey, are you, you know, uh, in the Beastie Boys? And I think it was Mike Diamond is like, yes, who are you? And it was an older gentleman. He's like, I just want to thank you because I've never been paid for a sample ever. And you guys pay me royalties every time. He's like, holy shit, that's, thank you, you know, yeah. like. And uh, I think things like that are really cool. And I just, in general, the, the sort of mixtapes they talk about, the music they talk about, it just reminded me, again, of a, of a lost time and not to be, I don't think the book is overly nostalgic by any means. No. It certainly has some nostalgia in a, in a, good, nostal- in a good way. But I do very much, um, it, it really kind of brought me back to that exciting time of being in my early 20s and living with friends and, you know, throwing on records that I hadn't heard because people just brought them over. We were having a party and, and, um, and just listening to a lot of different music. And it's, it's funny, like as much access as I have to music now, it, as I've gotten older, I think I, I'm sort of more boxed off sometimes. So to, to go back and kind of listen to the Well, I feel par- paralyzed by unlimited choice. Sometimes. Right, yeah. And, um, just what do you throw on? Yep. And, and it used to, you know, these choices used to be simpler, but the access to the music was much more difficult. And yeah. If you like this, you're going to like 500 other things mm-hmm. as opposed to, hey, check out this, you know, Lee Scratch Perry or this Bad Brains record or, or you know, um, hip hop record or whatever. But yeah, I thought it was, those were kind of the standouts to me. I mean, I think in general, the whole book is, I, I mean, like, the rental house in LA was great with the closet <laughs> full of 70s wear, yeah. which I actually thought, again, like these guys are always a little bit like five years ahead of the times because all of a sudden 70s gear became funny and fun again. Well, they, because... Part of it was because of sabotage. Yeah, no, totally. And and launching the careers of people like Spike Jones. And, and you also get the sense that those folks who are on the book are very grateful to the fact that, like, hey, I wouldn't have a career that yeah. I have today if it wasn't for the Beastie Boys. Yeah. You know? But here's the thing. You know, if I were to synopsize this book in a, in a very, very succinct manner, I would say 
this is the story of a couple of people who had a phenomenal <laughs> life and who are extremely grateful for it. You can and say, no, here's a little story yeah. I've got to tell. Yeah, but I, I think it's, you know, this is a, this is one of those non-condescending, I can't believe our good fortune. Yeah, and I always personally find a lot of joy in people that find, that are artistic, um, that... Are not miserable. They're not miserable, yeah, that, that find joy in, in having that talent and sharing that talent. And I thought, like... After having to listen to the Bare Naked Ladies, James Taylor, and Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett on our our worst of, it was um, it got me excited again to you know be doing this pod or <laughs> listening to music yeah, or not, not not hanging myself. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it was a a book about guys that are talented that left a mark or are continuing to leave a mark even with this book. And uh, highly, highly, highly recommend it. Favorite yeah. thing I've listened to yeah, um, it, this year. It's one of my favorite things. Anyway, we'll take a quick break, come back, and end it. Sounds good. back it's just uh win and i today and uh we just both were sharing our enthusiasm over the beastie boys audiobook ours and, and many others but um listen to it we'll end this episode the way we haven't in a while what are you listening to what am i listening to i christian and i were in brooklyn uh this week and we went to see a, a little movie called hail satan <laughs> <laughs> and uh um a documentary film by penny lane about the satanic temple mm-hmm. and the sort of um creative protest that they've put together uh in order to get uh, uh reestablish the um the firewall between church and state it's mm-hmm. a pretty good movie uh, it's a very good movie. It's fun, and I, I am now tempted to say "Hail Satan" after everything <laughs> I do. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Penny Lane's very talented, and um, it is uh, a very, like I said, very off kilter but effective way to um, you know combat something that has become pervasive in American politics. Cool. I have not. Uh, I need to ch- follow up on that. I, I've not even heard of it actually. Um, Hail Satan. Yeah, hell, Satan. <laughs> I think I'll have no problem saying that. Um, I have been listening to so a couple things. I've been just actually released and just taken a couple initial spins. I really am enjoying the new Vampire Weekend album, Father um, of the Bride. Father of the Bride. I think it's a. Uh, I don't know why I had low expectations or, or was kind of why? ready for a trip up. Yeah, it's been since twenty thirteen. Yeah, so. Loved uh, Modern Vampires. It's a it's a band that I, I don't always you know I don't I'm not it's not my favorite band in the world. In fact, if they were touring, I probably wouldn't go see them because um, I have seen That's them. That's experience. <laughs> yeah. um, but I uh, I find like it's a great 
album. And I'm, I'm always excited when I can pop an album on start to finish and be really impressed. And I think with Ross Sam leaving, there was a little bit of question and sonically, would it hold up or who was sort of the, the, you know, mastermind musically. And, and I think it might uh, be better. I think it is too. I think it's a really good record. So uh, I'm excited to, to hear that. And then I've also just been traveling a bunch. So when I wasn't spending hours listening to the Beastie Boys book, I've uh, been listening to the Ezra Klein podcast on Vox, um, which I really like. There's a lot of diversity in the people he brings on and a lot of interesting topics. So if you're interested in, in politics or interested in, in kind of a different viewpoints, whether it's right, left, socialist, conservative, um, we all have a little bit of a, a political, uh, you know, fanship here. So we, we do listen to things outside of the musical world. I've just enjoyed it. And uh, last one was David Brooks and it's good. You know, it's just a good listen. So, well, um, oddly enough, I, I saw Thomas Friedman and yeah, <laughs> buddy. So, uh, let's throw something on the playlist because God, it needs, it's new, a, yeah, new it music. needs new blood. I am going to stick with the, uh, with the vein of, of today's podcast and go with hold it now, hit it by the beastie. Oh, Boys. So good. It is a great track. Jesus, I've got to get in, in here, so I'm, I'm taking one second, if you don't mind. Oh, you know what? I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing uh, 1901 by Phoenix. Great song. I agree. And uh, on among apparently among one of Adam Yauch's Favorites. favorite songs of all time. <laughs> so much so that, yeah. That they worked with the producer yeah. and, and engineer from that uh, on one of their later albums. So anyway, um, if, you, if you couldn't tell... We are we're recommending <laughs> the uh, Beastie Boys audiobook, and we will be back. And, sorry, rare for us to recommend not reading a book versus listening. I'm not a big Audible's guy or no. anything like that, but this one is different. But if you want to hear Jarvis Cocker read a chapter <laughs> written by Adam Horowitz, you're in luck. Definitely. Cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be back, and uh, thanks. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.